Hello and welcome back everyone to the 10,000 Days Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again and thank you to those who sent us feedback and ideas for season two. If you're just joining us for the first time now, my name is Ian Brody and I'm here with my good friend Greg Ogiba. And this is the 10,000 Days Podcast where we talk about career design and development. Full disclosure, we are not career experts, but we speak at length with our guests who are. Greg, welcome back. How have you been since the first season? Hey, Ian. Um, yeah, all good here. It's been busy now that things are getting back to normal and hopefully stay this way. Uh, in terms of careers, I've made a big change myself. And since season one, I've had a lot of people reach out to me who are navigating change themselves or considering making a change. They've listened to the podcast and, and they've used me as a sounding board, which is um, which has been pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, navigating change was a real common theme or idea that came out of season one. And that's going to be a main focus for, for us in, in season two. We have another lineup of awesome guests for the season with uh, interviews that we conducted throughout the summer. Yeah, yeah, we really do. The guests this season are awesome. Uh, and we also have a sponsor this season to be determined. That's right. Day Merrill was our very first guest in season one. She is the founder and principal at To Be Determined, and we're so thrilled to have To Be Determined be our title sponsor for this season. Day and her team have decades of experience dealing with all things careers and supporting career journeys. And from your experience, Greg, you mentioned in season one, you know, it's tremendously helpful to have an objective trained professional in your corner as you develop a career plan and, and execute it. So to listeners, if you're looking for guidance in your career journey, check out tobedetermined.ca. That's the number two, the letter B, determined.ca to get in touch with Day and her team. Now, on to season two, our first guest is Michelle Saunders. She is a VP of talent for a major bank in Boston. And in her own words, you know, she, she had a tough background growing up in foster care. And over time, she developed this confidence and skills to get to where she is today. So it's a really inspiring story. Um, and, and Greg, you made this connection through the University of Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. Michelle earned her master's at the University of Rhode Island. Uh, where I was once a student, and uh, now I teach an undergrad course in supply chain. And I was in the audience at an event where Michelle uh, was a panelist, and she talked about self-discovery, assessing your strengths, overcoming imposter syndrome, things like that. Uh, and those are a lot of the topics that that we're going to dive into in this season. So I reached out to her afterwards and asked if she would uh, join us here on the podcast, and uh, she agreed to do it. She's going to kick off season one, so uh, go Rody. Go roadie. And and so what stood out to you that uh, listeners should listen out for? Well, I love the fact that she's very authentic. Uh, she is who she is and she fully embraces her gift to inspire and to, to help others to develop. Uh, and I like the fact that she took time to understand who she is and, and what she likes and more as importantly, what she doesn't like. So she gives us uh, specific tips and tools that that will help listeners with their own journey of self-discovery. So that's, that's what stuck out to me. What about you, Ian? What, what stood out the most? Yeah. I mean, she, she introduced some really important topics that we're going to cover throughout the season. Uh, like you said, self-discovery uh, also, you know, the role and importance of staying curious and, and developing your skills and, and also, you know, where the labor market is right now and, and what that means for leaders and, and also for people that are navigating change. 
So I think it's a it's really a great way to kick off the second season. Yeah, let's get into it. Welcome to the 10,000 Days podcast, Michelle Saunders. Hi, thank you. I'm happy to be here today. And thank you for helping us kick off season two of the podcast. Uh, we just introduced your bio to the audience. Greg mentioned the connection to the University of Rhode Island. Go Rams. Uh, could you tell us, uh, to start off, tell us a little bit more in your own words about your journey to where you are today as a leader in talent management and, and organizational development? Sure. Um, you know, and as I, as I think about my career path and, and especially where I was, you know, let's say 40 years ago, I'm not sure I imagined that I would be a vice president within my organization, Um, really someone who enjoys what I do, has a passion for my field. You know, I was was kind of the the kid that might not have been able to succeed. You know, I grew up in foster care, um, never necessarily had had a vision to go to college, didn't necessarily have you know, people in my life pushing me to to do better in school and get good grades and go to college. Um, But I I always had kind of a resilience and a fortitude and and I I did love school. And so with that, you know, I I never took the SATs, never expected that I was going to go to college after high school. But then after high school, I did have a couple of opportunities and, and started working in jobs where people said to me, you're really smart. And so that wasn't until I was an adult. And I think probably until I was 21 years old, did someone say, you have a, you could have a career in this, or you could do this, or you're really good at selling. Um, and my personality started to really come out in this job that I had when I was 21, um, where I worked as a member service counselor at AAA, and, and my personality started to, to come into play. Um, and I found sales effortless. Um, and, and I remember um, going back to school. I went to school um, for marketing as a continuing education night school student, um, took marketing, loved it, and just really started to figure out that my, my person could match my profession. And, and being that outgoing person that I always have been as, as a kid and, and risk, you know, as far as risk taking of, of good risk taking, right? I was always, I've always been a little bit fearless. Um, and I think my background is the reason for that. Yeah, that, I mean, it's a great answer. But but first of all, Ian, you're right. It's the Rhode Island Rams. We say go roadie. Go roadie. Go roadie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Michelle, so, I mean, it's a fascinating story. And thank you for, for sharing that the background. But you said it was basically you were 21 years old before you had that sort of aha moment that you could you could build the the career that you wanted. You were capable of it. Yeah. And so in, in, in my early career, it was, it was marketing. And I started to, to, you know, really, I went into the manager tra- trainee program at AAA um, and I was going to school in mark for marketing at the same time. But yeah, that's the first time at 21 years old where um, I actually thought I might be someone <laughs> um, and, and becoming a manager trainee. I remember at the time I was making I went from being a, a member service counselor making, you know, $8 an hour and I became a manager trainee and I made $10 an hour. And I remember feeling like I had made it, <laughs> you know? Um, and, but yeah, that was the first time. And then, and then when I, I remember graduating college and getting my first job with for $26,000 a year. And I really thought I had made it at that point. And um, so it was, it was taking opportunities and, and having people build up my confidence that that helped me always start to think about what that next step was. So I went through the ranks at AAA, um, became a branch manager, and then at the time, back in 2004, some our organization was starting to undergo diversity initiatives. And, and me being biracial, um, by the way, I was like, 
it was a passion of mine, having grown up in foster care, having been in a, in a town where I looked different, um, having been amongst many different types of people. When we started talking about diversity back in 2004, I was like, I, I can do this. And, and I can, and so I was one of the first people of color to be in senior management in my organization um, and, and started to really understand how I could blend my own, my own experiences in the workplace to help develop people. Um, and, and because the initiatives that we were undertaking also had some, some learning and development components to it. And that's when I went back to school for my master's degree um, and got my degree in adult education. And that's how I ended up at URI. Um, and that's where I started to use my, my personal experiences of being that kid that wasn't supposed to succeed to help other people in the workplace realize I can go from being a customer service representative to maybe being in a management trainee program to maybe going back to school and getting my degree um, to developing in this you know, web space or all these things. And I, and I started to see people transform and that's where my passions came alive. And that's really kind of how I ended up where I am today. Um, I ended up in the HR space, developing people, organizational development, um, helping connect the organizational development, the learning and development to the business results. So started to do that. And that's where I started to see more strides in my career. I think at the core of that journey, Michelle, you know, growing up in foster care, being in a town where you look different, like you say, very steadily building confidence and skills, there's a real theme of nature and nurture. Can you expand a little bit more on nature and nurture and, and what your thoughts are on how they've impacted your self-discovery and your development? So, so Ian, it's interesting. Um, you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago preparing for this, um, but since then I've decided I'm really going to write a book. Um, uh, and I think a piece of it is, is, is really going to be this. And, and, and I know we're here to talk about careers, so I won't get into my entire personal life, but, you know, having grown up in foster care, I, you know, as an adult, I found out a lot about both sides of my biological family, um, both my maternal and my paternal side. And through that discovery, so, so my whole life and knowing I ended up in foster care really thought I was from a stock of, of kind of bad people, right? Just, just losers, <laughs> to be honest, because I ended up in foster care. And then I discovered, um, you know, in 2005, I discovered my father's family. And about 2010, I discovered my mother's family. And, and this, this book that I will write will be about both of those things. Um, what I found was on my father's side of the family. So my father had all of his struggles, whatever they were, but I have an aunt who is one of the first women to black women to graduate from Bryant University in Rhode Island, right? And so, and I met her and I've gotten to know her. And unfortunately, currently she has dementia, but um, as getting to know her, I realized how much I'm like her, right? So there's that, that, that nature piece. So who I am and who I, my, my genetics, I have good genetics, right? Um, and so, so as part of that, but then I was also lucky enough to have, have been adopted as a, as a, as a tween. Um, and so my early years were in foster care, but lucky enough, I was been adopted and, um, and those parents taught me work ethic and, and perseverance and, um, never giving up and just having someone in your corner. So there's, I am a true testament to a combination of nature and nurture. And that is that we are born with a certain lineage and who we are. 
Um, and I've my through finding my my father's family and my mother's family, I've been able to see like pictures going back to like the 1930s and 40s and 50s, um, and seeing these really strong people tells me that I have that nature piece. Um, but nurture comes through, yes, having people in your corner, whether or not they're parents, um, having people in the workplace who build up your esteem and confidence, having you know a world of of people around you that can support who you are even genetically i'm also certified in a number of of personality behavioral assessments so disc mbti strengths finder all of those things and and in digging into some of in getting certified they tell you that about 60 percent of who you are you're born as 20 percent is kind of how you're raised your upbringing your cultural norms so you know somebody who's who's from india may behave very differently than someone in the u.s things like that um, and then kind of 20 percent of it is situational and and changes based on kind of what you're experiencing so the core though of who we are 60 percent is 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 we're born with michelle you, you mentioned some of those those tools uh, to help somebody discover, you know, who they are, what they're good at. Are there any in particular strength finder, et cetera, that, that stand out that you would recommend? I love strength finder because it, it really mostly highlights how you are in flow. Right. So, um, and when I say flow, it's, it's kind of like that state of when you're in a call at work, that state of when you're working and you're like, I love this. So mm -hmm. if you discover what your strengths are, and you're using your strengths, you'll feel that energy. So an example is um, my five strengths are woo, communication, strategic, arranger, and input. So woo, the number one strength that I have is called winning others over. So remember I talked about being 21 years old and, and being this member service counselor and understanding how to, like I can connect with people and it was effortless. That was my woo, I didn't find out until I, you know, became certified years later and that became my number one strength. But I was like, wait, I remember using Woo. And one of the one of the exercises in StrengthsFinder is um, think of a time when you your earliest memory of using your strengths. And I and I had to think back and I was like, I was in a play in elementary school, uh, Babes in Toyland, and I played Grumio. And I remember being on stage and I remember like feeling alive at that point. Yeah. You know that that element to self-discovery is so important. People need to get in tune with with who they are as people, what their strengths are, and what they can excel at. Are there any other elements, strategies, tools to to self-discovery that works for you or that you recommend to people? Well, and and I'm a mom, by the way, of of mm -hmm. a 18 year old son and a 20 year old daughter, and I watch my own children and. And, and so first of all, I kind of, I told you, I, you know, when I got into the adult, adult education space and figured out kind of that I loved seeing people transform in the workplace that I wasn't, I, I, that didn't happen until I was 31. Even though some of my experiences were leading me up to that, I didn't get into the space of HR until I was like 29, 30, 31. But looking at my own kids, right? My, uh, my daughter is in flow when she's working with kids and she's always she's always been that when she since she was little and she was you know when she would see another child she would see if she was three and she'd see a baby she was always like trying to help that baby right so my daughter is starting to discover that she has her personality and her person works well with kids so now she's gonna we're gonna go actually to see about an information session um so she can get a path to being an elementary school teacher right so she so I'm starting to see 
And I'm like, Ava, go with that, right? That's her name. Go with that. You know, she tried to get a business degree because she had been on some business trips with me and decided that she needed to be in business in order to do that. And I was like, but Ava, that's not who you are. My son loves animals and he is amazing with animals and he's getting ready to go to Colorado to be a major in zoology at Colorado State. So, so I, I would say I'm going to talk about my kids and go with what feels good to you. Mm -hmm. versus what, you know, there's, there's all these studies about like, these are the top fields that are going to be in, in four years, these are going to be the top fields. So everybody thinks they have to get that degree, but if that's not who you are, that's not going to jazz you up. Yeah. Hey, Michelle, you mentioned uh, the word flow a couple of times for everybody to understand what, what, what does that mean? How do you define flow? So it's, it's this state of being where you're using your talents and it's giving you a certain energy and I, and I'm, how I can describe this is there are people who love to cook, right? Have you ever been sitting in a diner and you see the fry cook and they're flipping burgers and they're, you know, they're singing and they're, they're, they're doing their thing and they're loving their job? That's flow. The people yeah. that hate their jobs and you can see it and it's palpable, they're not in flow. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes total sense. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So I, 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 travel, I love to travel. I travel a lot. Um, and also leadership can, can affect flow as well. But I went through TSA in Sacramento and I could, everybody in there was happy. <laughs> it was the craziest thing. I couldn't believe it. I was like, all the TSA agents were happy and they were joking and they were having fun. Somebody created that energy. Not every TSA is like that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm from New Jersey. Newark, Newark airport is, uh, is not like that. <laughs> no. So, so someone, so someone was creating an, an environment where talents were being used, mm -hmm. um, which, which was a leadership um, environment that was created. And this raises some important questions right now around the job market and around what employees or prospective employees are expecting or needing in terms of, you know, being in an environment with flow. What are your thoughts on the job market right now and, and what it means for people navigating it? I, I think I, I, you know, now that I'm getting older in my years, I see uh, different markets and things happen, right? So there's the housing market and sometimes it's a seller's market. Sometimes it's a buyer's market. There's the job market. Same, same as that, where sometimes it's a seller's market. Sometimes it's a buyer's market. Sometimes it's a candidate's market and sometimes it's an employer's market. Right now, it's a candidate's market where people have the opportunity to decide what workplaces they want to work in. Um, and it's no longer when you go to an interview that they are seeing if you're a right fit. Now candidates are going into interviews and saying, is this employer the right fit? Right? So I believe that first of all, leadership sets the tone for a culture in, a, in an organization. And I believe that if, if it's not the right fit for you, then there are other options out there. Um, and, I, and I think that's important that people recognize that and understand it. I also think it's important for, you know, especially as we're thinking about careers, I think it's important not to limit yourself to something where you don't have options and mobility, right? So if you love to, be, to work in restaurants, you can work mm -hmm. in restaurants anywhere. Um, if you love to um, work in, in software and, and technology, you can go and do that anywhere. So I think it's important that people choose things that give them options and mobility. Yeah. Um, I am, I'm reading, uh, actually listening to Michelle Obama's book, 
And I just listened to Viola Davis's book. Uh, but Michelle Obama actually in her book talks about she was further along in her career than Barack was at, at one point, right? They both went to Harvard Law School. They didn't meet there, but they were they were both working in Chicago and she was his mentor. She was a few years ahead of him in her law career. She decided at some point that law, being a corporate lawyer was not for her. And, and in this book, she talks about the discovery of that, that she didn't love contracts and she didn't love um, copyrights. And she, she just, she, she had a discovery in this book and I'm kind of there right now in the book, but she had a discovery that she needed to make a career change and, and she took a pay cut to do it. And I've taken a pay cut, by the way, as part of my career to get at, go after what brings me flow. Mm -hmm. um, and in doing so, at least for myself, I haven't figured out where Michelle's going with this in the book yet, but um, for myself, taking this step back took me five steps forward. I, I, there was a short period of time where I was doing marketing work and I had some really horrific bosses and horrible experiences. Um, and, and I learned that I didn't love the, the print marketing piece or the, the database tracking of the marketing. I liked the people piece, right? So I took a step back from my marketing career, took a step back from my salary to go back to AAA to work with people again. Mm -hmm. So I uh, yeah. took a $9,000 pay cut at the time, which was, which was actually a lot then. It's hard to do that. Like it's hard to take that step back and think about, okay, what is right for me? And, and to look more, maybe more broadly. I don't, I don't know if this was a case for you at the time where you kind of look more broadly of, at your career and maybe not so much as the situation. And that's hard to do. And you're bringing something up for me, right? Which is, um, and this is something that I always tell people and they're a little surprised by it, but you know, we learned this generations, our generations um, that became before us told us this, you know, you get in a company, you stay, you pay your dues, you're loyal and you're indebted to that company. And, and I've, I will not be that person. I will never become shackled to a company. I am loyal to my career. I am loyal to what I'm passionate about. And I've been that way. When I was turned 40, I decided and I, I had a leader who didn't respect me that I worked for and I gave notice. I didn't have a job. <laughs> and, and, and I said, it will, it will work itself out. And, and boy, did it ever. Um, and my kids were in middle school at the time and I didn't have a job, but I, but I would not feel like I was put in a box. I would not feel like I was, I hope this company likes me. I hope this leader, um, uh, respects me and thinks I'm doing a good job. I will never be that person. And, and since I left that job eight years ago, I am, I, I now am good at what I do. Companies come after me, um, versus whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm hoping companies want me. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. A lot of the adults in their careers that you work with, do they have the same sort of, um, self-awareness and, and, are they willing to take the risk to build, as you said, sort of a career that gives them options? Well, I think there's a lot that goes into that, right? There's, I think it's important that you are a genuine person um, that that knows who you are. And I think, again, goes back to nature and nurture. Um, yeah. At the core of, of, of my being, I've always known I was special, if that's, if you will, right? I've always known that like, because of my my life experiences, I'm different than others. And I think everybody has to figure out what that piece is, what makes them special. So 
I think it's important to create a niche to be good at what you do, whether or not you're a software developer, you are, you know, like, like I am in the HR space and I, and I go into organizations and understand cultures and how to, how to develop people in order to get there. But I think that, that, and I've proven myself, right? I'm not a bad employee. I'm a really good employee. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I have a good reputation. I show up, I'm accountable. I, um, I, I connect with people. I build relationships. I, I make myself such a commodity that, that when I leave organizations, people are like, it's not, it hasn't been the same since you left. I, I don't mean to sound like I have a massive head, but that's what I do. Um, and I think that it's important no matter what your, your business is, if you run a retail store, if you, but you make yourself so good um, that you have options. So let's switch gears a bit. I, I, I want to introduce a couple topics that we're going to focus on throughout this season. Um, and, and one of those topics is going to be mental health. And it's really pleasing to see the, the stigma around mental health in the workplace has, has really been broken down in the last couple of years as lines between personal and business lives are, are blurred, outcome of COVID and, and working from home, I think. How can companies and leaders best support mental health in the workplace? I think it's important for, for people to understand and, and I and I I really believe in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So um and you can Google it, you know, if, if you're not familiar. Um, but it's what it does is it talks about, you know, all the basic needs that people have. Um and so the basic needs being food, shelter, water, physiological, the second being safety, the third being um belonging and then esteem and then um, self-actualization. So self-actualization, going back to what flow is, right? Self-actualization is that like, like that that place that you're in, in your profession, in your career, where you're like, I wanna take on new things. I wanna do more. I wanna, I wanna make my mark in, a, in an organization. People can't get up to that final piece of Maslow's hierarchy of needs if the basic needs are not met. Right. Mm -hmm. And esteem, belonging, all of those things, that's kind of the mental piece of, of who we are, and what we do. I, I will share. I'm very candid that that I have a therapist that that I I talk to right now. It's once a week could you know, it could be tw twice a month, could be once a month. But um, and, and it helps me be a better employee. So um, a lot of organizations, just to go back to your question, a lot of organizations have employee assistance programs that employees don't know about, by the way. Um, they, they might get told about it once and then they forget about it. Um, but the employee assistance programs, a lot of them have mental health visits, um, counseling lines, things like that built in. So first of all, if, you, if you're not sure, ask your employer. Um, and companies have that built in. I would say everybody should take advantage of it. And um, I talked to my therapist about my past, my history, being in foster care, uh, genetic mental illness that runs in my family. I talked to my therapist about that, but I also talked to my therapist a lot about stuff that happens in the workplace with my leadership, with my, you know, some of the diversity and, and race issues that I encounter, um, some of the, you know, even, even gender stuff that goes on, even women with other women, men, the way men treat women, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I work through all of that with my therapist and, and what having a therapist does for me at work. Um, when something bothers me and I start to get that like feeling in my chest, when, when somebody does something that I might take personal, because I have abandonment issues too, by the way, 
um, something that I might take personal, I say, okay, I'm going to talk to my therapist about that. I'm going to, I'm going to compartmentalize that. And I'm going to work that through with my therapist and, and it helps me be a better employee. Otherwise I might get myself in trouble with trying to be a social justice warrior for myself. (laughs) And somewhat tied to mental well-being is dealing with anxieties and dealing with a bit of a buzzword here, which is imposter syndrome. What are your thoughts on imposter syndrome? And and is it something that you've experienced yourself? Most certainly. And I think it fluctuates, right? So, (laughs) so there's days when I'm like, I am so good at this, right? I am like amazing. And how do they not know? Um, And then there's days where I'm like, they're going to find out (laughs) that I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Um, And so, and so it depends and it depends on every time something changes in, in, in a team, in, you know, a reporting structure, in a product, in like a strategy, every time something changes, you kind of go back to that beginning of, can I do this? Can I, do I have what it takes? Um, I've, I've always said in some ways I'm a legend in my own mind, but I'm also, sometimes I worry that they'll, you know, that something that I've done will, will be found out or, you know, and, and, and the, the interesting thing is every single person that I've talked to, men, women, you know, young, older, everybody experiences this. Um, and, and, and I remember in my career when I became, when I became in leadership, somebody gave me a Harvard Business Review article and it was called The Dangers of Feeling Like a Fake. And I read it and I kept it. I don't always feel like a fake, but, but I think it, 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 there is this feeling that like, how did I get here? Especially given my background, right? Especially given that I've always said, there was an article that I, that I, I do a lot within my state for foster care and somebody, uh, the Providence Journal, you know, quoted me for an article. And I said, you know, given where I'm from and, and the experience, and I, my family has experienced a lot of trauma. I wasn't given a silver spoon as a child. I was given kind of a jagged spoon that might cut my mouth. You know, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. Um, so, so some, I think my imposter syndrome is pretty significant because of that, but a lot of people feel that way. It's not just, you don't have to have a story of foster care in order to, to feel that way. Um, I think it's, women might feel that way. How did I get here? And especially being a woman of color, there are people who made me feel like I was, I'm a token, you know, you got this because of affirmative action or, you know, those types of things. So it's fighting that every day and, and, and going back to the topic of therapy that helps with that. Michelle, looking ahead, what skills or attributes or characteristics do you think are going to be the most important for young professionals? I, you know, having worked in a few organizations, especially as a consultant, I think what holds people back is a lack of curiosity. So first of all, it's important, whatever industry you're in, whatever field you're in, you cannot let your skills atrophy. And you have to continue to educate yourself, whether or not it's through a formal program, a certificate, online courses, you have to stay um, fresh, in the business that you're in. So, so number one, I'd say that is, is be curious. (laughs) That's a skill, right? Being curious is a skill. Um, I think being able to work within a virtual environment is, is important. Um, and a lot of people can work from anywhere at this point. 
um, but being able to build relationships in a, in a virtual environment as well. I think also think it's important um, to, to be good at what you do um, and, and find that passion because that's what's going to keep um, the industry alive. You know, the, the great resignation or the great, uh, I forget what they're calling, renegotiation, they keep changing the name of all this, right? <laughs> And that is the fact that people are just changing jobs now. You know, people aren't yeah. staying loyal to companies. And but that was coming before the pandemic, by the way, because there were three generations. There was the baby boomer. There's the baby boomer generation, um, Gen Xers, and then millennials. But the baby boomer population was massive because of the baby boom, right? It was massive. And then Gen X, that population's a little smaller. So baby boomers after the pandemic were like, I'm not going back to work. Yeah. So a lot of baby boomers retired. And so that's, and then also the immigration laws in the US in particular, um, before COVID were becoming, um, it was harder to get into our country. So um, people couldn't come here for the summer to do hospitality jobs, things like that. So that's why the great resignation happened. Um, but I think it's not going to shift back where people are going to um, just work at a company for 10 years anymore. So I think yeah. it's important to become good at what you do so yeah. that you shift when you want to. So expanding on opportunities and the great resignation and the opportunities that it presents, from your perspective as a leader in talent management, organizational development for young people especially, but people across the spectrum, young professionals, leaders, executives, is there a risk for people to switch jobs too frequently? Uh, I My kind of sweet number is two and a half to three years. Yeah. Um, I think you have, and, and what that, there's a, there's a story to be told there. I think, I think anything less than a year says something didn't work out. Um, two years means, you know, you got through kind of two cycles of if the company has performance management, things like that, they, they wanted to keep you. Um, I would say, especially it's somebody who, who I lead a talent acquisition team as well. Um, and we, we look at resumes and I think the three, two to two and a half to three years says this company liked this person. Um, mm. so I think, I think, but I, but I remember I said to be curious and I do think there's also a risk when you stay too long in a mm -hmm. role within a company it can be detrimental to your like i've seen and, and being a person who's been to job fairs in the past i've seen vice presidents with a resume and vice president on the resume and they're trying to find customer service jobs because they don't have any any skills beyond what they did and moved up the ranks in their company Mm -hmm. So that's where I say continue to be curious and make sure um, that you're not letting your skills atrophy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's good advice. And I think it's, it's an important question because I, I'm sure you see it. And I'm sure your talent acquisition team sees it, that there is more frequent change. And it depends on the industry too. So mm -hmm. I, I don't want to make a blanket statement for every industry. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I think about, you know, I think about like, if I were to compare what I do in human resources to what, let's say a software developer does it, you know, in human resources, it, the, the, the industry has evolved and it's very much about, um, a partnering model and the, and the culture of companies and the people focus and, um, where it used to be kind of like a personnel paper, paper pushing type of job software developer. If you don't, if you do not 
understand and and educate yourself on all of the different tools and methods and and mediums and you're doing the work maybe that you learned in the 90s but now the whole industry has moved on mm -hmm. so so that's where it's important sometimes you you have to leave and, and when i left my my job like i said eight years ago if i had stayed there i probably would have withered <laughs> um and I wouldn't have learned global experiences and I wouldn't have learned how to do digital work. And, um, and the company wasn't, wasn't moving from, for me and my, my passions and my skills. So, so that's, and everybody makes their own de determination, but people don't necessarily stay with companies for 30 years anymore. Michelle, you've given so much great advice throughout this interview. One final question before we let you go. For any listeners that are making a change or maybe considering a change, what one piece of advice would you want to leave them with? Be genuine. Stay genuine. Um, you know, don't don't align yourself with an industry, um, you know, so much so that you lose who you are. And continue to be authentic. Um, as I mentioned, reading... Michelle Obama's book, just read by Ola Davis's as well, and, and both of them have very similar themes in that um, they could have been swept up in in their field, but they chose to think about their own personal passions and not lose their authenticity. Great advice again, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining the 10,000 Days podcast. It was my pleasure. Okay, as promised, that was a great interview and, uh, and a great way to kick off season two. On the next episode, we have another outstanding guest, Sasha Chomas, president of Dynamic Achievement. We'll dive more into these important career topics and talk about building what Sasha calls a vertical mindset to adapt and thrive in changing environments. If you are seeking career guidance and support yourself, look no further than To Be Determined. Check out their website at tobedetermined.ca to learn more. This has been the 10,000 Days Podcast, and we'll see you soon.